Hello and welcome to SimCast, the higher education simulation podcast. My name is Tony Jeremy. I'm the academic lead for simulation-based education at UEA Norwich. Hi everybody, I'm Lawrence Hill and I'm the chair of the simulation group in the School of Health Sciences at UEA Norwich. Welcome to the podcast. And welcome to this special edition of SimCast. This is part three in our six-part series where we bring you the online component of our simulation instructors course to you through the podcast. These videos will equip you with the theory required to understand the fundamental basics of simulation-based education in higher education. This video is called What is Simulation Safety? Yeah, and in a pre in the V previous video to this one, we talked about all the people that are involved in simulation-based educators, all of the faculty mm -hmm. roles, and intentionally left off the learners. And they are very much the focus of this episode when we're talking about psychological safety and other forms of safety. Yeah. So to get the most out of this uh, this podcast, we suggest that you uh, get in touch with us about attending one of our face-to-face -face simulation instructor courses. If you enjoy the video, please give us a like. Equally so, if you don't, give us a dislike, but let us know in the comments below why we're always keen to improve. To keep up to date with all things Sim, hit the subscribe button and don't forget to check that notification bell. So Lawrence, what are the learning outcomes for this episode? Okay, so yeah, the learning outcomes are to define the basic assumption made about learners undertaking simulation-based education to outline the importance of and describe aspects of safety in simulation-based education, and to critically appraise the concept of safety in simulation. Okay, so we often talk about simulation being a safe method to do edu um, healthcare education delivery. Mm. But I guess the question is, can we really say simulation is safe? Yeah, Um that is a really difficult question to answer, isn't it? You're absolutely right. People do talk about simulation as a safe environment. And I think mm. by that, really, people need to, to, to understand that it's perhaps relatively mm. safe as opposed to conducting kind of training on live humans, uh, you know, in, in a kind of community or, or hospital context. But before we can really answer the question of whether simulation is truly safe, um, one thing I think we have to address is the is the kind of philosophical and pedagogical assumption um, that we make about all learners undertaking simulation-based education. And that assumption is that we assume that everyone who participates in simulation is intelligent, capable, cares about doing their best and wants to improve regardless of outcome. Yeah, it's, the, it's what we call the basic assumption, isn't it? And its origins are from the, the Centre of Medical... Uh, simulation in, in, in the USA. And it's a great starting point, isn't it? And I often use it when I'm doing my simulation training as a slide, uh, like a, a, an initial slide. And it just helps to set the scene for the learners when they're, they're taking place. Yeah. Because as what we're going to come on to is actually simulation is a performance and the learner is in the spotlight. Yeah. I couldn't agree more with that. Um, and yeah, it, I think actually stating that basic assumption to learners in your kind of, you know, your learner group when you before you commence a simulation can feel a little bit like you're stating the obvious sometimes. But I think to learners, it can feel really reassuring um, that actually it's this isn't an evaluation. This isn't an assessment. This is a learning environment. And we know that you want to do your best and that you're going to try and improve regardless of, of how it goes. Yeah. Yeah. So use the term evaluation there. That's really important. I think it's an interesting dynamic that we have because we have people and healthcare 
professionals and, and learners who know that they perhaps learn the best by actively doing. Yeah. So they look forward to these sessions, but actually when it gets to it, suddenly they're thinking, oh, yeah, the <laughs> everything's on me now. The apprehension <laughs> kind of starts to set in, doesn't it? And all of a sudden, all of their kind of training and experience and credibility can feel like it's on the line. Yeah, clinical competence is a big one. And you can be the most experienced consultant working in a in a busy acute hospital and actually you're putting in simulation environment and some of those individuals can kind of crumble under that pressure. So yep. to then put a year one pre-registration undergraduate learner into that environment, mm-hmm. you know, you'd expect them to behave exactly the same if not be more affected by it. Yeah, because because a learner wants to demonstrate that they can hit the learning outcomes for the simulation. They want to show their 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 tutors, if you will, that they are, that they're competent, but also they're in a peer group mm. uh, who may be at a relatively similar stage of training mm. or level of seniority. So there's that kind of peer kind of pressure mm. uh, on there as well. So stating that basic assumption and not just stating it, but really meaning it and really. Um, kind of doing so in a, with a, with an affect and in a manner that makes it abundantly clear to learners that you believe this statement yeah. is is really important for for creating a positive and a non-judgmental environment. That, for me, that last bit, regardless of outcome, I think is really important because, you know, things are going to go wrong from time to time. Things won't go according to your plan, particularly if you've designed a simulation to unfold in a certain way. Mm. There's almost always a, an element of variability within the simulations. Mm. You know, never two, one, no two simulations will ever be the same. And so helping to the, get, get the learners to understand that, that if things go off piece, we can use, use it at, you know, in the best case scenario is a learning opportunity. Yeah. Uh, some of my best mistakes, uh, uh, my, my most useful learning has come from some of my mistakes that I've yeah, made in the past. Of course. And, and you know what, as well, looking at some of the other words in there, like assuming that they're capable, you know, that for me is a statement that actually puts quite a lot of responsibility on the facilitator mm. to ensure that this simulation is aligned with the rest of their curriculum. Yeah. You know, we're assuming that you're capable of doing this because I've designed it in line with your curriculum or I know that it's in line with your curriculum. So it's a kind of a statement that says, we know that you can do this, but also that we've thought carefully about it. Yeah. So there's there's a couple of terms that we, we can use when we're understanding the type of person and how they might be affected psychologically. So we've got evaluation apprehension, which is what a lot of people face. They feel like they are being critiqued in minute detail. And then you've got social facilitation. These are the people who get on stage and sing and it doesn't affect them. Mm. How do you know who you've got in the room? Well, you, you, you don't always know. Um, sometimes you know when you, you, you know, you start a session and you're like, okay, so we've got uh, a series of three simulations mm. we're going to run today. Would anyone like to put themselves forward to be the, the clinician or the, the kind of lead participant in this simulation? Generally, the people whose eyes light up and that make eye contact are <laughs> yeah. probably the people that are the latter yeah. who yeah, kind yeah. of experience that sense of kind of well-being and kind of almost you know growth in that in the spotlight. And the people that look down or look blank, well, they're, they're, they're shuffling around in their seat before the sessions even started, aren't they? Ooh. Or they turn up late, or you might get a learner who routinely has has bouts of illness when these sessions <laughs> crop up from time Maybe to so, time. Yeah. You know, you, sometimes people are that terrified the by sympathetic this. nervous system is yeah. a powerful thing <laughs> yeah. but you know i've I definitely had that situation before where the, there are trends and patterns so because people are just so terrified about 
the spotlight being on them. Yeah. And, Particularly and, in those social circles and those tribes like you were talking about. And and you know what? This is where, you know, simulation is a complex social endeavor that mm. as a facilitator, yeah, of course it's our responsibility to state the learning outcomes and to facilitate the simulation, but being alert to what the the kind of the dynamic is of the group in front of you before you start mm. is actually kind of part of that too, being alert to that. So I guess the, the, the potential problem here as an educator is, okay, if we go too far down this psychological safety route, we can run the risk of trying to cater for everyone's needs and actually moving away from what our intended learning outcomes are and making trying to make sure it's as safe as physically possible. So what about when you're trying to deal with a, a challenging simulation topic or, or scenario what, yeah what's the for me what's the difference between a threat and what's the difference between a challenge yeah and i think that's a, a really important distinction right because learning almost by definition requires someone doing something new acquiring new knowledge learning new skills yeah. and that ought to be challenging to some extent so how do you get tr- tread that balance between threat and challenge well you have to make it achievable mm-hmm. for one it has to be realistic yeah um it has to be you know something that would be approaching or near to or just outside perhaps that person's normal kind of capability as a as a practitioner of some kind mm-hmm. it's got to offer stretch without offering the, the, the snap the, the, the snap the, of the, the elastic band you, yeah you, know. you stretch too far uh, so it, it's it's a it's a delicate moral craft i think you know mm. you have to in 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 devising simulations and then in facilitating them you, you have to be alert to to where your learners are and what they know so you can push your learners but you need to be mindful of how far you're pushing them don't make it um unrealistic yeah don't don't put them outside of their so far outside of their comfort zone that they're not going to get the the a, a performance out of them. No, but also if you are dealing with something challenging, that that needs to be handled sensitively afterwards with a, a well structured debrief. Yeah, and also a um, a very clear briefing about what the, the scenario might entail, what the simulation is going to involve, and if it is going to tackle some challenging themes, you know, maybe healthcare inequalities or or something which is you know potentially you know quite spicy mm-hmm. um giving the learners some kind of briefing a clear very clear briefing about what um they can expect to be challenged by in the simulation is really useful without necessarily being explicit you know about what the, the challenge is but creating a sense that this may be challenging and we're making this assumption about you and actually we will look forward to discussing this with yeah. you and your experience so of doing it. That's what we would call previewing. And we'll come back to that when we look at learner knowledge safety in a bit more yeah. detail. What about physical safety in the simulation mm. environment then? How can that be potentially an issue that a simulation facilitator might need to just bear th- things in mind? Yeah, I, th- I think, you know, most of the time in simulation, either we're using uh, mannequins or we're using human participants. Mm-hmm. So if we're using human participants, we have to be mindful that if... The, the simulation requires them to be um, manipulated in some way, that everyone has had appropriate training in terms of manual handling and movement. Mm-hmm. And uh, if it requires them to perhaps be examined in some way, they need to understand that, you know, from a, from a safety perspective and sort of safeguarding perspective. Um, but also that there are, you know, risks inherent in any kind mm. of physical environment that need to be considered. You know, are there trip hazards? Are there, um, are we using... Um, genuine medical equipment as part of these simulations 
that have risks inherent in them? Are there sharps, for example? Yeah, yeah so physical harm can happen, even though, again, the, the old adage is simulation is safe because a, a patient's not involved in the actual simulation scenario itself. But you could use an actor, you could use a service user, you could use a uh, another student if you're not using a patient mannequin. So there's always the potential for physical harm. And like you say, sharps, injuries, and, and things like that can happen as well. Yeah. And generally speaking, as I've you try more, and increase the more. fidelity, they're then the risk goes up as well. Yeah, I mean, uh, sorry to interrupt. I, what I was about to say, I've seen I've seen more sharps injuries and, and vile c- glass vial cuts <laughs> in, in simulation training than I ever have in clinical practice. So it's clearly not safe entirely physically, but it is it is in an environment where we can be assured that the equipment is you know, yeah. sterile, that there is access to the right facilities for, 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 for cleaning and to addressing those wounds. In, in terms of risk assessment, it's it's far more dangerous than a seminar. Exactly. Isn't it? So that's that's something that needs to be taken into consideration. So physical safety is a consideration and an appropriate risk assessment should be undertaken. Mm. What about safety in terms of the fidelity? So the lack of fidelity in simulation. We've talked about this in a previous podcast where we looked at some of the hazards to negotiate through simulation. And you mentioned this before, a, a, a bugbear of mine is not wearing gloves in simulation and then that being bad practice yeah. going into a live environment with a patient. So the, there's, there's an issue there around what we scrimp and save on in simulation and how that then translates to what the learner takes into practice. Yeah, simulation offers like a a, a vivid opportunity to practice things as they should be done in practice, the work as imagined, you know, how things could be done. Mm-hmm. The moment you start rehearsing things wrong in simulation then you introduce risk to patients by practicing practicing incorrectly in, in a kind of learning environment and sort of cementing any bad practice at that stage is likely to set learners up to do things in practice, which, which may be, you know, at best suboptimal and at worst downright dangerous. So what can a simulation facilitator, how can they, go, they negotiate that? I guess one of the things they can do is, is try and make it as physically realistic as possible. You know, so mm. they'll be going down the route of having to order gloves, for example, or um, having to make sure that everything is mapped out in a in a timeline which is realistic. Yeah, but sometimes that's not possible, is it? No, and 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 sometimes these are compromises that we make on simulation fidelity. Sometimes, and I, and I think sometimes they're necessary. Um, so I think. Trying to keep things as, as close to as close to real is, is useful. Um, and an example of where that doesn't happen might be in resuscitation training, where um, somebody says, "Okay, so this in this two minutes of chest compressions between rhythm checks, oh, we'll just just we imagine that two minutes has elapsed." Or yeah, I, I've got IV access. Or by I've got IV access. Putting a cannula next to the the mannequin. And it, what it does is it it so that there's there's a couple of things in there. So firstly, it changes one's expectations about how long these things take to do in practice, yes. which might then introduce a degree of stress when you come to do it. And guess what? Your IV line doesn't go in like that. Um, but the other one is that, you know, that, that, that the, the physical act of performing two minutes of chest compressions, one would learn something about one's ability to do that. If mm. you can't do that mm. effectively for two minutes, that's a really important unintended learning mm. outcome that has a real world downstream consequence that needs to be addressed. So yeah, so we can we can improve the the kind of the the safety, the patient safety aspects by keeping simulations as close to real life as possible. Okay. 
it's worth talking a little bit about in situ simulation mm. uh, because that has some risks with it as well. And again, I think a junior simulation facilitator probably not, and is not going to be in that many situations where they're doing in situ simulation. Sure. And, and, a, and a higher education healthcare educator is, yeah, it, like probably going to be doing most of the simulation in a lab or in, yeah. a, in a simulated environment. But, but, what, but what we mean with in situ simulation is this is done in a real life environment. And in terms of physical realism, you can't get more realistic than that. A simulation center is generic in approach, so you're never going to be able to uh, have all of the little nuances that you mm. would have in a live environment. Mm. So it's often seen as perhaps the most authentic way of delivering simulation. Mm -hmm. But that's got risks as well, hasn't it? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because you've got all of the, the risks associated with that live environment. So whether that's a clinical environment you know, like an emergency department mm -hmm. or whether it's a kind of a, an industrial commercial environment where you're running a kind of simulation as diagnostic kind of tool. Um, there are risks inherent in that environment mm. that need to be adequately appraised and, and judged and, and mitigated um, physically. There's, a, there's, there's the real world going on around the simulation, exactly. isn't it? And that might mean there's more patients uh, who might stumble into a simulation. Yeah. They might end up getting harmed because of it. They might end up getting harmed physically, hopefully not, but no. certainly in terms of psychological safety, um, in, a, in a, a workplace environment rather than an educational environment, there's much greater chance that somebody who's not received the disclosure mm. that this simulation is taking place is likely to happen. And this happened to us, didn't yes, it? it? Did, yeah. We ran an in-situ simulation um, with a large packaging manufacturer in uh, a commercial estate near, near Norwich. And we had been very mindful to brief everybody present in the entire company uh, via email um, with the help of our kind of collaborators. And yet about 20 minutes into a simulation when we had two casualties crushed under a, a, an enormous roll of packaging film, this man, and let's call him Pablo um, <laughs> for the sake of uh, confidentiality. Yeah. Didn't um, know what was going on. He did not know what was, was going on visibly shocked by stumbled what was un in. unfolding. He stumbled in, didn't he? And yeah. he kind of walked over with that look of terror, actually, yeah. and said, well, how did this happen? And I, I kind of saw this, and how I went over and I said, uh, you know, what's your name, Pablo? Hi, nice to meet you, Pablo. This is a simulation happening today. No one's actually been harmed. And it was like there was nobody home, and he just repeated, but how did this happen? Mm. So we have to be really careful about that. And we were very careful to, to debrief Pablo adequately afterwards. But it just shows how in situ simulation has got latent inherent risks that are more difficult to control yeah. for. The other thing, just, just briefly before we move on around in situ simulation is, again, if you're in a particularly in a clinical environment for, for whatever reason, then the, the necessity to deliver that clinical care is obviously of paramount importance. Yeah. So you need to have some kind of go or no-go criteria, don't mm. you? What is the limit in which we say, actually, we're not going to be able to perform the simulation because there isn't enough staff and actually it's going to now bleed into the, the clinical demand, for example. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely right. And that's got to be considered because clearly we would you would not want a learning event to to compromise the clinical care received by a patient in any given environment. So let's go full circle now back to the learners. Yeah. So learner knowledge safety is often, again, considered that if you have that element of surprise in simulation, you're going to get the best performance out of the learners. And actually, through experience and through literature, this probably couldn't be further from the truth. It, no, it couldn't. Um, the, the, the art of simulation is in um, curating 
an experience that feels natural, but that has a almost like a storyboard. Like、mm. you want a briefing that provides us a sort of a storyboard that 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 kind of articulates roughly what is expected to happen, and that story should depend on things that the learner already knows. They should they should they should have an understanding of. How to do the things you're expecting them to do? Because if you ask them to do something that they don't understand, or you put them in a situation which is completely, you know, what would feel random or、mm. entirely spontaneous, it just people just they just can't engage with it. It's just confusing, and that, and that goes back to that. It now becomes a threat rather than the challenge. Yeah, yeah,、uh, and the, I guess the easiest way to to Try and stamp that out. Is to make sure that your learning outcomes are clear and explicit in in your briefing. Hit that basic assumption, like we talked about, and you don't have to give the game away for every single scenario in terms of how it unfolds. But if the learning outcome is, you know, you need to perform high quality chest compressions as part of a basic or advanced live support, they should the learners should know what they need to do,、mm. and it shouldn't come as a surprise. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more with that. I think in addition. We need to be mindful that safety is a loaded term. It's an、mm. aspiration that we can work <laughs>、yeah. towards,、um, and that safety is actually in the eye of the beholder. It is down to、yeah. the learner I, to feel so.、Yeah. Feel so. I'll tell you、safe. whether I feel safe or not. Yeah, <laughs> not, not you. You can do your best. That that said, there are physical risks that we can mitigate, and I think introducing learners to the simulation-based learning environment prior to the simulation starting、mm. and orientating to know what to expect. Like anything, if you feel prepared, you're gonna get the The best out of your learners. So yeah, so so safety is a, a a complex topic to talk about in simulation because you know we could argue that it is safer than clinical practice, but it is definitely not categorically safe. No, we actually、um, have a previous podcast on this topic,、uh, Simcast episode four、um, here. If you'd like to check that one out,、um, we'd we'd、uh, we'd love to hear what you think of it. So if、uh, if you'd like to drop us a comment in response to this podcast, please feel free. Similarly,、uh, if you'd like to drop us a comment on any of our previous podcasts, we'd love to engage with you and、um, hear what you think. So just before we finish, we'll just recap the learning outcomes,、uh, and then we'll、uh, we'll end the episode. Great. So. By now, hopefully, you should be able to define the basic assumption made about learners undertaking simulation-based education. Outline the importance of and describe aspects of safety in simulation-based education, and to critically appraise the concept of safety in simulation. We really hope you've enjoyed the episode, and we can't wait to see you in the next one. Thanks very much, everyone. Bye bye. Thank you. Bye.